Thank you so much for having me come here. So glad that Matt called and asked if I could come here and spend a little bit of time with you guys. Um, we had a great time last night talking about evangelism. There's probably nothing else I would rather uh, talk about. And it's great to see uh, my old friends Aaron and Colleen here as well. So it's, it's a joy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, if you will. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be in the parable of the lost sheep. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They were all drawing near Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Lord, it is easy to be discouraged when it comes to evangelism. We can be very aware of our weaknesses and our failures. And I pray that no one here would leave discouraged or paralyzed by persistent guilt. But together, you would help us to see what the Savior sees. That you would help us to see your incredible love for sinners. God, that we would be motivated by the extraordinary grace that we see in Your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Law enforcement officers will tell you that they are ready to respond to any situation, especially when someone's life is on the line. But what do you do when there is a toddler who is stuck in a well shaft and she's too deep to reach with your hands and too young to communicate with. That is the conflict Midland police encountered in October of 1987 when 18-month-old Jessica McClure fell down an abandoned water well and was lodged there for three days. Do you remember that story, the baby Jessica? It's in Midland, Texas. Police Sergeant Andy Glasscock says nobody could understand the magnitude of it. You just couldn't even begin to comprehend. There was a backyard with a little metal pipe sticking out of it. Nobody could fathom that someone could fall down that. It wasn't until you could hear her crying that you realized someone was down there. Well, the few police officers that were called to the scene started, attempted a desperate 
rescue, trying some way to free this child, digging with shovels or anything in their sight as other units and firefighters were called in. What had happened was Jessica had fallen down an eight-inch wide well shaft. Um, I have four kids. They were all huge when they were born. None of my kids at any point would have ever fit down eight inches wide. Not even some of their legs would have fit down that. So this is an eight-inch wide well shaft. She falls down. She falls 22 feet down this well. At 22 feet, it actually opens up to about 16 inches. So it goes from 8 inches to like 16 inches. And there's debris there, which kind of stops her. The other thing that stops her is that her leg was up over her head. She hung at that point where the well was 8 inches and it opened up right beneath her. It was a 67-foot drop straight down. And she hung in there for three days. The police officers and firefighters were making virtually no progress. For some reason, they couldn't get through the ground. It was too hard. They found a backhoe. They tried to dig. That wouldn't work. Finally, they decided to call the nation's best mining engineer, a man named David Lilly, who had years of experience rescuing trapped miners. The problem was he was all the way across the state of Texas in New Mexico. So they immediately flew him in. It says, meanwhile, everybody started putting their heads together as to what to do. They tried to dig with a backhoe, but the earth was too hard. They wanted to dig a hole next to the well and then dig across to it. They thought it would be accomplished in an hour. Instead, it went on. More rescue teams, spectators, and news media showed up. Sergeant Claskock said the hardest part was that you could hear her crying. It was more like a scared whimper. It was like she was not sure what was going on. I have children, and there was no way once you heard her voice that you could leave her there until the end of it. As I listened to Jessica cry, I thought about my children, my wife. I raised four kids of my own, adopted one more. I'm a children-type person. I couldn't listen to that for too long without getting tears in my eyes. Then, finally, David Lilly, the nation's best mining engineer, arrived. But the rescuers met several obstacles, the biggest being prehistoric rock, which would take almost two days to cut through. They were making horrendously slow progress, drilling down about two inches per hour. Finally, David Lilly said, this is not going to work. We need a super high-pressure water blasting drill. It was all the way across the state of Texas. They called the government and asked them to take care of this. The government, of course, couldn't. Too much red tape. They called FedEx. They put it on a plane, and they finally got the drill there. And that's another story and another message. Uh, It says this. They began drilling very successfully, and finally, after three days of digging down, they began to dig across by hand. It was tedious. They actually, when they got to the pipe, they drilled through and put rods in so that she wouldn't fall down. And then it says one of the rescuers reached up and touched baby Jessica's toe. But the first rescue attempt didn't go through. They couldn't get her out. They had, to, they had trouble getting down into the open shaft. They had to come back up and reevaluate and regroup. Then they basically sent them back down to get her out one way or another, even if they had to break her leg. She wasn't able to stay there much longer. Then it says the second time they sent the rescuers back down to her, everything was real tense. And then up from the shaft came one of the rescue workers holding baby Jessica in his arms. I fell on my knees and started crying, Sergeant Glasscock said. Everyone was crying and hugging and honking horns. There were tears of gladness and joy on every face. Baby Jessica had been saved. It was one of the greatest rescues of all time. 
And it's a great example of perseverance, of sacrifice, of compassion, of love. And that is what this parable is all about. In this story, we see the extraordinary heart of God. We see the amazing heart of God to rescue lost men and women. And what a contrast this is to the heart of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Look again at verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Sinners were those who were not even trying to follow the law. Those who are in blatant disobedience, they don't care about God, and they break the law every day and don't care. That's, that's what he means by sinners here. These people would have been despised and rejected. They would have been far from God. And the tax collectors were the most hated people of all. They were enemies. They were completely hated and rejected from the Israelites. These are the people that are the furthest from God. And yet, they are being drawn to the one who is closest to God. Those who are least holy are being drawn to the one who is most holy. Now, how is that? You, usually, if someone is holy, if we're aware of somebody that's holy, it can make us feel uncomfortable. It can drive us away because we become aware of our sin. How is that not happening with the worst sinners in society? Why are they drawing near to him? Well, I believe it is the profound, the incredible love of Christ Love is pouring out of him like light pouring out of the sun. Aren't you glad this morning that sinners can draw near to him? Aren't you glad that you were able to draw near, that he didn't keep you back? He didn't say stay away. He didn't reject you. Aren't you glad? I am so glad that sinners like me could draw near that we were welcome to come near to the Savior. Now, something very different is pouring out of the Pharisees. We do not see this kind of love pouring out from the religious leaders of the day. Something very different is coming out of them. Look at verse 2. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is absolutely preposterous to them. They, they can't understand this. Jesus is not only showing compassion to these horrible sinners, he's actually receiving them and welcoming them as if they could be part of God's family. Well, this is not the God that they serve, and so Jesus tells them this parable. He often spoke to the Pharisees in parables, and he wanted to show them that this indeed is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. Look at verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? 
What man of you? He's, he's saying, what kind of a man? What kind of a man would just let a lost sheep die? What, what kind of shepherd would do that? Well, it's not so obvious to us. I mean, we're not shepherds, and it seems like we're still in pretty good shape. I mean, we have 99. Maybe we should just be thankful for what we have. Maybe the little guy will wander back. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us. It would have been a huge deal to the shepherd. It's like saying, what kind of a man would turn away from something in great danger? Or in keeping with our illustration, what kind of a man would just let baby Jessica die? What kind of a man could just stand by and not do something? What kind of man would not make every possible effort to rescue her? Who could hear her cries and just ignore them? Who would be guilty of such neglect? Well, I think I am. I think I am guilty when I don't reach out to the lost, when I don't care about them, when I take little risk, when I focus on myself. Now, not all of you are in this category. It was wonderful last night to hear the stories of how so many are reaching out and and seeking to, to bring the gospel to those who are lost. Thank you for that. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your example. You have hearts that long for people to come to know Christ. But many of us struggle with evangelism. And even those who do well sometimes lose vision and motivation. Why is that? How how can we worship with such joy on Sunday and yet keep the good news to ourselves the rest of the week? How can we love the gospel as much as we do and not share it with others? Let me ask the question a different way. Why is evangelism so difficult for us, but it's so easy for Jesus? Why is it such a struggle for us, but it seems so natural for Christ? Why is reaching the lost at the center of the Savior's life, but so often on the side for us? Three reasons. Why is evangelism easy for Jesus? Three reasons. Number one, the Savior sees the danger. The Savior sees the danger. The shepherd who represents Christ clearly sees the danger, which is why in verse 4 he goes after that lost sheep without a second thought. He knows the danger. A lost sheep is a dead sheep. They were easy prey for, I mean, pick your predator. Lions, bears, wolves. It's like a chicken McNugget. They find it, dip in, and it's down. All right? These things... They're helpless. A sheep has no way, and even if it doesn't get eaten by predators, it's going to starve or dehydrate. A sheep has no way of rescuing itself or surviving on its own. It is pitifully helpless. It is, its instincts are useless, useless, and its defenses are pathetic. And it's the same for unbelievers. Listen, they have no way of rescuing themselves. They can't save themselves. They are pitifully helpless. They are in great, great danger, and they are doomed apart from Christ. Let me read you part of this story. This is from a woman who is, by God's grace, now part of our church. She says, I was raised in a very strict traditional Catholic family in Ohio. I was very involved in all types of sports from grade school through college. 
I was successful enough at sports to become a college All-American and was inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in Ohio for basketball and track and field. As an adult, I went to church every Sunday because I thought that's what we're supposed to do for God to love us and to get to heaven. However, I never felt God's love. On the outside, things looked great, but inside me was a void. In trying to fill the void, I made a lot of wrong decisions and lived a very self-destructive lifestyle. After many years of being in a mentally and physically abusive relationship, I was left by myself, very alone, and not wanting to continue on with life. How could God love me with all the mistakes I made? I'm not an all-American. I'm a loser. After several attempts to end my life, I decided upon the day that I would really end it because I just couldn't take it anymore. If you would have met Stacia you would have seen someone that was extremely successful. She was an All-American. She's in the Hall of Fame. But she was in great, great danger. Apart from Christ, men and women are in great, great danger. But we don't see it. We don't see the danger when it comes to the loss. With someone like baby Jessica, it's crystal clear. It's real. It's right in front of us. We can touch it. We can hear it. But the danger that awaits the lost is far worse than anything that baby Jessica faced or anything that we can imagine. Luke chapter 16 Time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Revelation 20, 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is not easy to talk about. It's uncomfortable. I wish we did not have to ever talk about people going to hell. But if we, love Je- if we love Jesus and we love lost people the way that He did, we won't be afraid to look hell in the eyes. Eternal punishment is a necessary result of God's holy justice. Hell is real. It's real. Hell is real and it's worse than anything we can imagine. But many of us have trouble seeing it. Or we choose not to see it. We can prefer to think happier thoughts. I I know for me, I want to think lighter thoughts. I tend to think about temporary things. And it's easier to focus on this life. And the flesh, the sinful nature, prefers it this way. And wants to bend us inward and downward to ourselves and this earth. So we wave to our neighbors. We chat politely with our waitress. We interact with our unsaved relatives in a kind way, but we rarely think about the eternal danger that awaits them. They don't seem like a lost sheep 
or like a helpless child stuck in a pipe, but they are. They're actually far worse. When we see danger, it compels us to action. When we see danger, it moves us. I remember this one time, my wife and I were down at the shore at um, my great, great aunt's house. She had this house on the bay, and so it was all these old wooden houses up on the bay, and the water kind of went under the tide and everything, and you'd sit there, and it was just a great place to relax, and, and it was before we had kids, and we were just out there hanging out on the dock, reading magazines, eating snacks. There were no kids. That was really nice that I mentioned that, and... Uh, and just, uh, we, you don't realize it until after you have kids what you had before. Anyway, we love our kids. Wonderful gifts from God. They really are. So we're out there relaxing uh, on this dock. And, and all these houses are all connected. They're all these old wooden houses. And, and I heard someone yell, fire. And I looked over, and three houses down, there's a fire on this guy's dock. And it's about six feet in the air. And you have to understand, I mean, if one house goes, this all of, it's all gone. All of these houses are going to go. I never moved so fast in my entire life. I think if I could have sustained the speed, I could have made the NFL. <laughs> I do. I sprung up. I had to jump over the little, you know, fences. I jumped the first fence, grabbed the hose from this lady's house, threw it as far as I can. She came running out of the house. I screamed, turn that water on. I jumped over there, grabbed the hose, jumped over the next fence, and then by God's grace, I was able to put that fire out. Now, no one had to say to me, no one had to try to convince me that it might be a good idea to do something about this fire. You know, nobody came up to me with a brochure, and I saw, like, okay, there's an entire house standing, there's a flame, and now it's ashes. And to say, oh, okay, well, if this does, then this will, oh, my word, let me, nobody had to do that. I just moved. I just went immediately. Why? Because I saw that danger. When we see danger, it moves us. Why is evangelism often difficult for us? What, what makes us miss something this important? I think it's because we don't see the danger. I think we don't see the danger. But Jesus does. The Savior sees the danger. In this story, the shepherd sees the danger and it compels him to act. He goes immediately after that lost sheep. He acts, he moves, he takes initiative. He pours his energy into reaching that sheep, searching and calling, searching and calling. He does not convene an elder's meeting to discuss it. He doesn't do a demographic study. He doesn't buy the latest DVD on five easy steps to finding a lost sheep. He doesn't do any of that. He just goes. He goes. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of the Savior, to go, to rescue men and women. The Father saw the danger that we were in. And he sent his one and only Son to rescue us. The Father crushed his Son on that cross to save us, to rescue us, because we were in such great danger. That's the heart of God. And that is the heart that he calls us to have. You know, God knows that we desire to reach the lost. 
The Spirit of God lives in us and has given us this desire, and God is going to help us. He loves to make us more like Christ. God is helping us to see what he sees, all for our good and for his glory. So why is evangelism easy for Jesus? Number one, the Savior sees the danger. Number two, the Savior sees the value. The Savior sees the value. In verse four, the shepherd not only goes after the lost sheep, he leaves the 99 in order to do so. That lost sheep receives special attention over those that are safe and sound. And that's because each sheep was of incredible value to the shepherd. He would give his entire life to care for the sheep. People, even unbelieving people, have great value to Jesus. That's why he saved us. The Savior has immense compassion for the lost. And this is amazing given what the lost were like. Lost men and women are enemies of God. We were enemies of God. We were against God. We ignored God. We hated God. We disobeyed God. We gave God every reason not to rescue us. And despite all those things, despite our blatant sin, our willful rejection, God chose to value us. God chose to make us his own children. This says much more about God than it does about us. He doesn't value us because we deserve us. He values us because of who he is, because of his great love. He cares about eternal souls made in the image of God. Now, the Pharisees did not care. The Pharisees did not value people the way the Savior did. They didn't see that God wants to increase the community of his people. They wanted to keep these kind of people out of the community. You know what I mean? They wanted to make it small and elite. They didn't see the need or the call to increase the size of the community. Let me ask you a question. Are you content with the size of this community? Do you realize that this community is supposed to grow, that people are supposed to be added to this church. Now, one of the things I'm grateful for is I know that many of you are not like that. Many of you are regularly inviting people into your lives, into the church. Thank you for doing that. But I can often be like a Pharisee in this. I, I can often be content with the size of my community and the friendships that I have, I don't always see it as a blessing to try to bring unbelievers in. I can at times view them as messy, as uncomfortable. I can, I can be self-righteous. And when I do that, I do not value men and women that are lost. I fail to value people the way Christ does. See, when we value something, we we sacrifice for it. It moves us. It causes us to, to, to do things, to act. When baby Jessica was stuck in this pipe, it, it moved an entire city, an entire state, an entire nation. Why? Because we value 18-month-old little girls. Why is evangelism often difficult for us? We must not see the value. 
in men and women that are lost. But Jesus does. The Savior sees the value. In this story, the shepherd values the sheep so much that he goes after the sheep and he won't stop until it's found. Verse 4 says that he goes after the sheep until he finds it. Verse 5 says, and when he finds it. How does he know he's going to find it? It could take days. He might have to scramble up cliffs, comb through valleys, calling and searching, calling and searching. Is it really worth all that? Absolutely. The sheep were of great value. And the reason that he knows he's going to find it is because he's going to persevere until he does. Even if it means he finds that sheep's tattered remains. He is determined Regardless of the danger, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the risk, regardless of the energy, he will find that sheep. That sheep is in a desperate situation. He can't just let it go. He can't let it go. He can't ignore this. And that is the heart of the Savior. That is the kind of persevering and sacrificial love he has for the lost. Jesus saw value in people that were lost. That's why he took on flesh and blood. That's why he came into this sin-sick, messed-up, dark world. That's why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. That's why he gave his life. That's the heart of Christ. And it's the heart that he calls us to have and it's the heart that he's going to help us to have one of the things i am so grateful for is god's patience with us do you know that god's patient with you do you realize and he loves to be patient it's who he is our patience can often be this reluctance okay go i'll wait right here no that's not really patience god loves to be patient with us he loves to help us Maybe you haven't done much in the way of reaching out to the lost. Let me finish Stacia's story because I think it'll encourage you. She says, so I got in my car with the intent, with the intent of driving it into a large tree beside the road near my house. As I increased my speed and approached the curve where the tree was, an incredibly huge deer with huge antlers stopped in the road, causing me to screech to a complete stop. This may seem odd to you. I was going to kill myself but wouldn't kill a deer. But God knew, even though I didn't love him and hated myself, I loved animals. So God used the one thing that I really loved, an animal, to stop me. I cried all the way home. Upon returning home, I wandered to the empty field next to my house and just looked up to the sky and cried out to God, please, just send someone so I can know how to follow you. Now listen to this. Now this field was vacant for over 30 years. Five years. But within a few weeks, a sold sign went up and a house started to be built. Turns out that the couple who built the house was part of Covenant Fellowship Church, a couple named Mark and Amy. After a few conversations with them about God, they kept mentioning the word grace. I really did not know what this word meant. Well, one day as I see them pulling out of the driveway, I ran up to them and asked, What is grace? What is grace? There are people that have no idea what grace is. Grace is the most important thing. It is one of the most important words. Packed in that word is our salvation, our forgiveness, mercy, heaven. Undeserved, unearned. 
Grace means everything to us. There are people that are saying, what is grace? And so she says, what, what is grace? They turned off their engine, got out of the car, and we went up on their front porch, and they started to explain grace. And at that time, they spoke of a course at their church called Alpha. Then she goes on, she comes to this Alpha course, and, and about three-quarters of the way through, there's a retreat. She decides that she's not going to come uh, the first night, but then she drives down to the place the next morning, and she refuses to come, and she's just sitting in the parking lot. Finally, she decides to come in. And she's, this is during our prayer time. She says, a woman came over to me and asked if she could pray. I only remember just falling hard to my knees and deep sobbing and not being able to get far enough under the ground as I truly became aware of my sin in light of God's holiness. I knew my only hope was mercy, and I pleaded with God to forgive me. By his grace, I was able to give my life to Christ and trust his forgiveness for my sin. At that moment, I saw in my heart Christ, and I saw his hands and the blood and the piercing, and I realized he did this for me, and I was truly loved and forgiven for all my sins. I saw the chains fall away from my heart. At that moment, my life was changed. I love that God dropped Mark and Amy right down next to her. They had no idea that she had just tried to commit suicide. They just reached out to her with the grace of the gospel. They valued her and loved her with the love of Christ. Do you realize that God has dropped you in the same way he put Mark and Amy right there? He's dropped you in the exact neighborhood that you live in, the apartment that you're in, the exact job with those coworkers, the family, with unsaved family. He has placed you there. And God wants to connect us with people who need the gospel. And he wants to reward even small steps that we take with great fruit. We simply need to value people enough to reach out and share the hope of Christ. So why is evangelism easy for Jesus? Number one, the Savior sees the danger. Number two, the Savior sees the value. Number three, and this is the last point, the Savior sees the joy. The Savior sees the joy. This passage has a lot to do with joy. Look at verse 5. It says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. A lost sheep that is found is cause for great joy. It's cause for celebration. This shepherd is having a party. He's experiencing some serious joy, and he's calling others to come and to share that joy with him. He's thrilled. I mean, imagine after days of searching, the shepherd spies this sheep. He runs to it. He embraces it. He, he pulls thorns out of it. He checks it over, and then he, I love this picture, he joyfully places it high on his shoulders. He lifts it up and he places it on his shoulders. That is an amazing picture of God's love. See, see, we can picture this shepherd as actually being angry when he finds the sheep. Doesn't it seem reasonable that when he finds this sheep, he, he might be a little ticked off, like, where were you? Come here, break his leg, you know, put him on his shoulder. 
you know, after, you can, you can picture anger here, right? I, I remember this one time, my, my brother and I, when I was young, I have an identical twin brother, and we were playing hide-and-seek in Kmart. Do you guys have Kmarts down here? Or you used to have Kmarts? We kind of used to have Kmarts. Okay, so we were in this Kmart, and we were playing hide-and-seek, and it was great. You could hide under the clothes racks. Nobody could find you. And so I had a great hiding spot. My brother couldn't find me. And I don't know, maybe 10 minutes passed, or maybe it was a little longer. And um, finally, I hear on the intercom system, uh, there's a lost child, uh, lost child in Kmart. And I'm kind of under there like, oh, it's a shame somebody got lost, huh? <laughs> just, I'm just hiding here. And so, um, so finally, after, I don't know, maybe another five minutes or something, I, I came out of hiding, and I thought, you know, maybe, you know, they might be looking for me or whatever. And at the end of kind of like the center aisle part, I see my mom in the distance, and she's walking toward me rapidly with like the K security people, my other brother. And she's, she's, she's just coming at me very quickly. And I think, okay, well, you know, she, she's going to be, you know, happy to see me and everything. And I think she said something like this. Oh, thank God. Where were you? Where were you me? I told you, Pastor. She kind of put my elbow in my ear and like, you know, yanked me away. <laughs> she, she actually, she seemed angry to find me. And we can think that, listen, this is very important. We can think that about God. Given our sin, given our rebellion, given the things that we did to Christ, we can see anger. Like that shepherd grabbing that sheep. You know what? He wasn't angry. Listen to this. When he found you, his heart was filled with great joy. And he lifted you, listen, he lifted you high on his shoulders. What a beautiful picture. He, he wasn't angry. He wasn't upset. He was filled with great joy when he saved you. See, this shepherd anticipated that joy. Why is evangelism often difficult for us? I, I think it's because we don't see the joy in it. We don't see any joy. It seems hard. It seems messy. It seems like it's not going to work. At least there aren't any guarantees. It seems scary at times and uncomfortable. And sometimes those things are true. But you know what? There is an incredible joy on the other side. There is nothing in this world. Listen, there is nothing in this world that will bring you more joy than bringing someone to Jesus, seeing someone forgiven of their sins. Yes, it can be hard work. Yes, it can be scary. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes sacrifice. But there is a joy that awaits, an inexpressible joy. Maybe one of the reasons that we don't sacrifice to reach lost men and women with the gospel is that we haven't tasted this joy. We don't know what it's like. But Jesus does. The Savior sees the joy. The parable of the lost coin adds an interesting twist. It's making the same points, but let me just read this in verse 10. You can read with me. She found the coin. She was looking for the coin. Then this woman says this, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, look at verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God. One version says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Who is this? Who is this rejoicing? 
It says there's joy in the presence of the angels. See, we can picture God as this stoic God that is sitting on his throne, and when a sinner comes to Christ, he might give a, a little golf clap. But the angels are going crazy. You know, the angels are having a party. They're doing front handsprings, backflips. They have confetti cannons. They're blasting them off. And they're like, woo! And God is just kind of there, reserved in the background. You know what this verse says? There's joy in the presence of God. I'm sorry, there's joy in the presence of the angel. Who, who is this? Who's rejoicing? Listen to Spurgeon. He says, we often say of the angels that they rejoice over one sinner that repents. I doubt not that they do, but the Bible does not say so. The Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. What means the presence of the angels? Why, that the angels see the joy of Christ when sinners repent. Hear them say to one another, behold the Father's face, how he rejoices. Gaze on the countenance of the Son. What a heaven of delight shines in those eyes of his. Jesus wept for these sinners, but now he rejoices over them. It's Jesus who rejoices. This is God rejoicing. R. Kent Hughes said here is a laughing, congratulating, hugging God. He is a God that longs for the lost to come to him, and he takes great joy and delight when they come, and he invites us to share in this joy. He wants us to see it. He wants us to taste it. Now, one of the things I find amazing about this parable is that Jesus didn't just tell us a nice little story to help us to understand God's heart. He didn't say, hey, when you, know, when you think about God, kind of think of like a shepherd, and that's what God's like, and if you get discouraged, just remember this, okay? That's kind of, he didn't just tell this story. He lived this. This was not just theory for him. A couple chapters from now, he enters into Jerusalem and he gives himself up to the Romans who beat him and nail him to a cross. He recognized that the only way to save his sheep, the only way to rescue his sheep was to allow himself to be killed and crushed for our sins. The good shepherd laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for his sheep. This is not theory. This is what he did. He lived this out. He was willingly forsaken by his father. He paid the greatest price imaginable in order to rescue us. And do you know why he did it? You know why? He says it was all for the joy set before him. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning It's shame. He sacrificed for joy. And he's calling us to do the same. He wants us, he wants you to share in the joy of proclaiming the greatest news that has ever been told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you saw the danger Lord, thank you that you placed value on us and you loved us. And thank you for the joy. Lord, thank you that you laid down your life 
because of joy. And Lord, you're now calling us to enter into that joy. Lord, I pray that you would help every person in this church to more clearly see the danger, to see the value, to see the joy, that they would see you, that they would see your amazing love, that you are the good shepherd that laid down your life for the sheep. And Lord, you're sending us, you're calling us to be true disciples that love our world with the good news of the gospel. Please help us, we pray.